Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud, and this is my podcast. Quite recently, I had the very good fortune of connecting with Swathi Young on LinkedIn the other day. She is the founder of Tech Notch Solutions, a technology strategy and management consulting company in Washington, D.C. Swathi Young helps companies leverage the power of machine learning to solve business problems like fraud detection and customer service intelligent agents. And to her credit, she is quite the expert on AI and a number of emerging technologies. On the podcast, we discuss the part ethics plays in artificial intelligence, especially in relation to autonomous vehicles and facial recognition. With the possibility of bias in AI, uh, we discuss how can we safeguard the public from the potential harm of predictive policing. We also talked about how can job seekers complain about algorithmic discrimination when they aren't even aware <laughs> that algorithmic, algorithmic discrimination even exists. And, and just what is explainable AI? That was a new concept that Swati brought to my attention. And uh, when she did, I wondered to myself, should companies be for explainable AI or against it? Well, tune in for a very interesting and thought-provoking episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. And it's happening right after this. Advanced security, internet freedom, complete privacy. That's what you get with NordVPN. Imagine NordVPN as a hack-proof encrypted tunnel for online traffic to flow. Nobody can see through the tunnel and get their hands on your internet data. NordVPN gives you peace of mind each time you use public Wi-Fi, access personal and work accounts on the road, or want to keep your browsing history to yourself. Try it out today. Matter of fact, you have nothing to lose with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Simply go to jimstroud.com secure. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D slash secure, S-E-C-U-R-E. In fact, as a special offer to my listeners, go over to jimstroud.com secure and get your copy of NordVPN for 75% off. Now, this is only for a limited time, so act fast. One more time, because I'm trying to look out for you. JimStroud.com slash S-E-C-U-R-E. That's JimStroud.com slash secure. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. Thank you so very much for listening. I do appreciate it. I have a bit of a treat for you today. A very special guest will talk to us about something that has been on my mind for a while. But before I get into the topic, I'll let my guest introduce myself. So, special guest, if you would, 
please tell us who you are and what you do. Jim, thank you for having me on the podcast. My name is Swati Young, and I run a boutique artificial intelligence and data science consulting company here in Washington, D.C., and we have clients both in the financial sector as well as the healthcare sector. Um, We typically implement machine learning algorithms for these industries. We also uh, host data science training programs. So my background is I've been a software engineer and then a technology leader leading large engineering teams. And since then, Mm -hmm. when data science came into the picture about five years back, I was doing some self-learning and exploring the possibilities of using data science, machine learning, and AI to solve business problems. But a topic that's very close to my heart is ethics in the design of artificial intelligence applications, as well as humanizing these emerging technologies and the usage of those. So um, that's my specialty, and too often I do research on what's going on in that area and present my findings at various conferences. Yes, and that's how I discovered you. I saw this video of you um, talking about humanization of of data, and I thought it was very intriguing. Uh, One thing that came to mind when I was watching your video was uh, this proliferation of autonomous vehicles. Uh, Mm -hmm. I call them them robot cars, robot trucks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether they're truly robots or not, Uh, but I think of them that way. And... One thing that always made me a bit nervous, and you touched on it a little bit in your presentation, the part that I saw, was uh, how does a car decide who lives and who dies? If they're coming up to a crosswalk and uh, they can't avoid hitting this person for some reason, and they have to, the car has to decide, do they hit the person and save the two people in the car, or do they crash the car, hurting the two people in the car, but saving the person in the crosswalk? And I thought, man, that is... How do you even program a machine to think that way? No, that's a good question. And in the world of vehicles or transportation, that's called the trolley problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And now actually coding it into a set of rules, into an algorithm of autonomous vehicles is taking the challenge to a whole another level, like you touched upon rightly. So what I would like to say is that this is not just an engineering challenge. So this is an ideal scenario, which is at the intersection of what what is ethically justifiable, legally defensible, and technically possible. Mm. And allow me to explain what it means. So Please. basically, we have the ethics or the moral code, um, which Some people often debate that it's very ambiguous, but according to me, irrespective of the country you are in the world, uh, wherever you are, killing another person, hurting another person, robbing another person, these are all crimes. So there's no debate or ambiguity around those things. But what becomes challenging is when a vehicle has to make these decisions, then an engineer who's actually coding it thinks about these 
um, ethically justifiable scenarios and also has to optimize along certain constraints. So basically, there would be a couple of ways to tackle this depending on what is um, legally defensible as well. So if you translate the same scenario to a human driving a car mm -hmm. and somebody suddenly coming in front of your car and you do you avoid that person or swerve into the other lane to hit the other car, right? So mm. I think these are not what is not happening currently, but in the case of machines, you need to explain the decision tree that makes this decision. So however hard it is, I think we have to think about what is the current scenario if you replace that autonomous vehicle with a human car, human driving the car, and how would they decide? And that is how an engineer thinks, but I think most often they also are thinking about or discussing about the legalities around this issue as well. That is, that is fascinating. And as you say that, I'm also wondering uh, how much does the culture of the society that their car is in presently um, a factor in there. For example, if I, I'd imagine that if the robot car is in Asia where they have more uh, respect for elders, so to speak, they may have they may adjust the algorithm more to favor the senior citizen than someone who's younger. Maybe the car will think the senior citizen uh, life should be take precedent over someone much younger or something, whereas in another culture, they might think the complete opposite. I mean, how much does culture factor into all of those things, you think? Definitely. I think culture factors in not only into the country they are in, but also depending on the person who is coding it, right? So mm. that's why I always like to say in the world of artificial intelligence or these big data solutions or machine learning algorithms, diversity is not an option. Diversity of engineers is not an option. Diversity mm -hmm. is mandatory because you are going to incorporate the biases you have into the algorithms and it becomes more and more imperative for us think about those implications, right? So mm -hmm. even even forget about in Asia, but even in the United States, there have been facial recognition technologies that are proven to be discriminatory against darker skinned people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so the the if you don't bring enough diverse ethnicities and cultural um, background people to the table, to the engineering table, then you are going to introduce what I call human biases into your algorithms. So, and, and like I said, in that example, there have been facial recognition technologies where they refused entry point for a person from China saying their eyes were closed which is a very good example that they did not consider some of the different um, cultural, ethnic backgrounds that a facial recognition technology can be used. So it's going to be the same. It's going to be amplified 
um, when you actually have autonomous vehicles. So you bring in a very good point why engineering teams have to be very diverse and it's going to be almost mandatory to be diverse because society is made of diverse people more so. We are speaking about not just male, female, but we are speaking about emphasis on non-binary these days. So we need that representation to be very inclusive of all aspects of human society. Very good, very good. Um, very interesting. Now, when you mentioned about the, the surveillance um, uh, from the facial recognition aspect of it all, that's interesting mm -hmm. to me, too, because that's been in the news uh, quite a bit um, mm -hmm. and how some cities are adapting facial recognition and then some others are saying it's not ready yet, so they mm -hmm. are lobbying to, to take it down. It makes me wonder, should it? how do you feel about not using facial recognition on mass, I mean, uh, uh, on a large scale, until they've perfected all this? And if, if we wait until they perfect everything, will it ever truly be ready? No, that's a great question. And one of the things which is interesting whenever I hear about the United Kingdom um, is that they have videos all over the place. In fact, they have most Speeding tickets are issued just by video surveillance in the UK. And in the US, mm. we have less video surveillance. So that brings to the point as to how many folks are aware. Like I was at a spa recently, and I came to know that they have video cameras, which is invading my privacy. And I wasn't aware, neither did they declare it. It was one of the people who was working with me told me about it, and I was not okay with it. So brings back to the point of, yes, currently a lot of places use video surveillance and they, they sometimes do not declare. I think we can translate it a little bit to the facial recognition technologies. And mm. um, there is a workaround to using it effectively. So one of the things you can do is anonymize the people, right? So facial recognition technologies, yes, um, it can help in particular scenarios like law enforcement, but if you take, uh, use it for the greater good as to, okay, um, you're seeing somebody with some AK-47 rifle or something, you want to prevent that, you don't need to know the person's face, right? So what I like mm. to say is you can use this technologies to anonymize a specific person, but at the mm -hmm. same time, um, use it for detecting a number of people. So in the example I said, you can detect somebody carrying some arms that are not allowed without actually detecting the face, which you can maybe combine it with video surveillance like in an airport or somewhere else. But um, there is anonymizing um, the data that is going to be very effective in this scenario that you can use it. So we need not necessarily wait for the engineering to be perfect or have a perfect solution. Depending on the use case, I think we can deal with, okay, this is a large crowd. We are detecting large crowds of people or whatever is the use case, we can anonymize the um, faces or even we can blur the faces, but take into account there is a crowd moving here 
and uh, so on and so forth. It sounds like you're describing to me uh, predictive policing, trying to catch people before crime is committed. Would you say this is sort that of in the realm of that? One, yeah, that can be one use case. Um, like I would like to say is that obviously every algorithm has to be customized to a specific use case. But um, yes, whether it is predictive policing or something else like finding out where the crowds are moving in order to do crowd control or something else. You mm. can totally obscure people's faces so that the privacy is not invaded. Very interesting. Let me put uh, a different sort of uh, use case together for, for this AI, because it also um, has been a bit controversial. Whenever someone applies for a job, uh, then the ATS, the applicant tracking system, uh, looks at their resume uh, and makes a judgment. The judgment may be based uh -huh. on keywords in the resume or maybe based on other factors. And then mm -hmm. those resumes are ranked and recruiter looks at the resumes that uh, some machine has said is more qualified than someone else, which isn't necessarily so. It could be that someone just didn't write a good resume. Mm -hmm. uh, but regardless, uh, and they don't get into the hiring process because they, their their resume was never reviewed because the machine said their their resume was not as good as somebody else's. My mm -hmm. question is my question is this: um, What recourse would someone have to even complain about it? Right. So mm -hmm. if someone if someone has a business and they're treated unfairly, they can complain to the Better Business Bureau. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if someone is discriminated against, they can have, they can make an appeal with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or some other body. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you have algorithms making judgments about resumes and work history, that kind of thing, and the person who is being analyzed by virtue of their resume don't even have any control or any purview at all about what's being said or thought about from their resume, and they don't get a job, uh, what recourse do they have? I mean, should an agency be created for the, for the standpoint of monitoring algorithms that do things like this and other other stuff similar? Yeah, yeah. And I think that there are two aspects I want to address. One is the legalities around it. Um, mm. I, I think, yes, I'm often speaking with policymakers here in the D.C. area about what are some of the things they are looking into so that incidents like Cambridge Analytica will not happen next year. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not such a positive answer. But uh, but to come to your specific question, I think the lawmakers are a little behind all these emerging technologies. That's what sure. uh, that's what my conversations have revealed so far. So mm -hmm. I think maybe you we can address it with the Better Business Bureau and other um, regular channels that we use currently. But there's another aspect of it, the first thing being you brought up an important point that sometimes you don't know the decision-making process, right? Mm -hmm. So so uh, technologists have woken up to that challenge, and these days we have something called explainable AI. So, in mm. fact, on July 15th, I'm having an event in Washington, D.C. on that topic. So, essentially, the algorithm can expose the decision-making tree it used to make the decision. So that's some of the latest technologies that have come to the forefront, especially in, uh, 
industries like financial technologies as well as healthcare, we do need that decision-making process to be exposed so that they adhere to the legalities of the specific industries. So that's that, that one. Yeah, and, that's, and, and, that's, go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying it's interesting. I've never heard of that. And just to interrupt for a quick second on that, if I could, or interject, if I am a financial institution and because of this regulation or whatever, explainable AI, and I have to reveal my decision tree, wouldn't that fall into company proprietary information, company secrets or something like that? Would I have to give away part of my secret sauce uh, to my competitors to let them know what I'm doing so that they can do something different? Or would I lose a competitive advantage because of this explainable AI, I guess is what I'm asking. Right. And I think I can answer it in a couple of ways. The first thing is, um, first of all, internally, the financial institution will make sure they adhere to the regulation. So I know Mm -hmm. for, for a fact that if you reject somebody for a credit card or reject somebody for a loan, you need to give an explanation why you have done that, right? Sure. So if you're applying for a capital one or Citibank, uh, loan, auto loan, and you got rejected, so typically they would say your credit score is low or something else, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But what they don't tell you is behind the scenes, they have a huge underwriting process that not only takes into account your credit history, but if you're applying especially for mortgage and other loans, it's going to take into account all your bank statements. They have this that's what you're calling the secret sauce. They have their own specific underwriting rules that are not fully exposed, but they still meet the legal requirement by giving a, a particular reason why it was rejected, right? Oh, so, oh okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And having worked closely with financial institutions, I can say that for a fact that there are like hundreds of parameters that go into making a decision, especially like providing a mortgage loan where you actually submit a one year of bank statements of you and your partner and your employment proof. You submit all sorts of identity um, identifications as well as your financial statements. So a lot of factors go into it, but but they can give the reason they, without explaining too much. And that I'm speaking about not even using an algorithm today's world. Replace that okay. with an algorithm. What is important is with explainable AI, the internal folks inside a large financial institution like a Citibank or a Chase or Bank of America, they have credit officers, they have uh, you know, compliance officers. Those people will first make sure that they review the decision tree so that they are still adhering to the legal compliance. Wow. Told me you share something new I've never heard before. <laughs> are, are there uh, are there any other um, on the cutting edge uh, trends or advances in AI that you think um, would be of interest to my audience? Yes, one of the things that's uh, still undergoing research, but there's some applications have already been developed, is natural language processing. So mm. obviously, um, in fact, today morning I read a. Uh, a uh, small post on LinkedIn by uh, one of Gartner's uh, head of digital that chatbots have not evolved in the last couple of years, even though 
um, there are so many emerging technologies that are present. That's because the nuances of language, and we're talking about English language uh, for sure right now, the nuances is so critical and it's so difficult, right? So mm -hmm. uh, like if you say hello, you can say what's up or hi or how's your day. Everything equals hello that we know as humans, right? But for mm -hmm. the machines, we have to input 100 variations of these nuances of language to say all these means hello, right? So <laughs> right. language processing is something that still like undergoing research and development, although a lot of applications are being used today, it still has a long way to go. And that's a very interesting, uh, you know, emerging technology to keep track of because we are so intuitive as humans. And that's why I say that uh, please don't fear that machines will replace humans because the intuition we have and the and you know, and how easily we understand the nuances of language, right? Um, mm -hmm. The slang that we have and things like that. It's not going to be very easy to um, for a machine to do that unless we can code and encode um, thousands of permutations and combinations of language. So, so that is something which is really, really interesting. Of course, um, facial recognition has a long way to go because um, there are some intricacies involved where e you can easily manipulate the data to produce what is called deep fake images, um, fake yep. images mm -hmm. and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing which is um, interesting to also see is that how artificial intelligence will actually help us address cybersecurity. Because mm. nowadays, hackers have become very smart. They use artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to do attacks. So like I say, diamond can cut another diamond. We need to now use AI to, um, to prevent uh, hackers that are actually using AI. So there's a lot of research in that area. There are successful um, cybersecurity products using machine learning and AI. Um, so that's another area that research is going ongoing. And then the, the most important thing that's undergoing a lot of research is what is called neural networks. Uh, that can be used to solve more complex problems like climate change or even cure for cancer because we are dealing with thousands and thousands of petabytes of data um, which regular supercomputers even cannot handle. So, so those are some wow. things that are undergoing research and are very interesting to follow. It is uh, amazing things. Things change so much, and even to touch slightly on what you said earlier about, about the language, language itself, uh, even if you were to, I guess, program a computer or an AI to um, understand every manifestation of hello today, uh, some teenagers will come up with a new way of saying it <laughs> and confuse exactly. the system. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and we have to keep updating so our system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then with the, the hackers, that's also an interest to me, too, because I'm thinking that uh, the more technological advances that are made, uh, the more hackers have to play with. So it's almost as if if you want to be really secure, you have to go back to 
70s or 60s technology, even before then, and put everything on paper and pencil, which is not efficient at all. Uh, but it's very safe. It's kind of a catch-22 there. Um, I have uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with you, and I feel like I've learned so much. Thank you so much for your time. If someone wants to contact you and learn more about you uh, personally and about your business and things like that, how can they reach you? Yes, the best way is that to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm at Swati Young on LinkedIn because I often post videos on LinkedIn that are very educational about some of the things we spoke about just now. The second thing I would encourage everybody is to subscribe to the newsletter that I have on my website, technosolutions.com. Go down on the page and just hit that subscribe button because when you do that, what you get is every Tuesday, you get a hand-curated newsletter by me called Tech Tempo Tuesday Newsletter. And that will tell you all these AI trends and some of those new stories that we often don't have time to dig deep into because these impact us as a society. And even if you're not doing business with me, I encourage you to follow the trends because 10 years from now, we are going to wake up to a new world, but it is happening one day at a time. So um, if you want to keep abreast of the trends in these technologies, please subscribe to my newsletter. And for those of you, if you are in the Washington, D.C. area, do check out my July 15th event on explainable AI. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you so much, Jim. Hey, no, my pleasure. And to make it easier for all the listeners, uh, I'm going to link to everything she just mentioned inside of the uh, show notes for this uh, podcast. You'll find that on jimstrout.com. Again, thank you so much. I hope this isn't the last time that you are on my podcast. But until next time, thank you so much. And everyone, have a great day. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. You can leave a comment concerning this podcast on my website at www.jimstroud.com. In addition to finding source material and related information for this podcast episode, you'll find other goodies that I hope will make you smile. And if you have not already, please subscribe to my website. Your continued support keeps this podcast train chugging down the track. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.